0: Alright, greetings and welcome to My Security Plus Journey, a podcast where I document my learnings as I prepare for the Security Plus exam, SYO501. Now, before we get started today, uh, a quick heads up that uh, I do have an Instagram page and a YouTube page tied to my anchor profile. So if you're listening to this podcast on any of the platforms, you can find me on my anchor profile directly. And from there, you can go to Instagram or YouTube uh i'll be putting more polished content out there uh not just uh posts or not just like you know videos or, or video recordings of the podcast but i'll also be branching it out slowly into uh, informational videos or tidbits you could say um and also uh, i've been working a little bit on uh, making this a little more useful for uh, all the people that are going to be watching this preparing for Security Plus, maybe sometime down the line. So, I'll probably be, you know, uh, splitting the episodes into segments or something like that. I'm still experimenting with it, but we'll see where that goes. So, in the last episode, we covered uh, Trojans, RATs. Uh, so, Trojans and RATs and backdoors is what we covered in the last episode. Again, uh, A quick recap, like I do every time. So uh, uh, the Trojans are basically exactly what you think they are. Like the exact example of a Trojan horse, which is, uh, it is like a digital wooden horse, which is, it is useful software, but inside it, it conceals a certain amount of malware. Uh, So while it's performing a function that you desire, it is also performing a malicious function on the back of it. So, again, that is what Trojans are, virtually, uh, for like, you know, the detailed discussion and the breakdown, you can go to the previous episode. In the previous episode, we also discussed about backdoors. Now, what malware generally do is they, once they infect a PC, they firstly look to plant a, black do- a, a backdoor, so that, you know, every time another malware or another newer uh, or any commands from the host of the criminal. Uh, have to enter they don't have to go through all of the normal authentication methods which is the front door of the system instead they could just you know make an illegal back door or a hole in the wall from behind and get in so we discussed more about back doors in the previous episode as well And another thing that we discussed in the previous episode was about remote access Trojans, which is a mutated version or an advanced version of a Trojan. And uh, when you combine remote access and Trojans, uh, then there can be a lot of implications. So that for the full details of it, I suggest you go to the previous episode. If you're listening to this on any of your favorite podcast platforms, you can just click the back button and it'll take you there. Uh, If you're on YouTube, uh, if you're watching this video, I suggest you watch the video as a part of the playlist so that you can go front and back into episodes and while i'm at it i'll also be updating the descriptions of the videos and the episodes uh, over the next couple of days to include all of the topics like each and every topic that i discuss in a video not just the title so that you know uh, when you want to search for a specific topic or a specific thing that we discussed in, the, in an episode, in any any of the episodes. You could just search it and the de- description will uh, help you find it. So, yeah, that's what happened in the last episode. Uh, this episode, we uh, we uh, discussed that we'll uh, go after rootkits and uh, keyloggers. Now, if time permits, we'll also try to take a look at adware or spyware. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, we'll save that for the next episode along with bots and botnets. Now, here's a very simple way to remember rootkits. Now, in Windows systems uh, or you could say um, oh yeah, okay, in Windows systems, uh, the lead user or the user with complete access or the you know the user who is at the top level of the computer, the owner of the computer is generally designed as, designated as the administrator or the admin now similarly uh, in unix or you could say gnu slash linux based operating systems the highest the elevated user uh, is called the root now the root user always has access to you know everything right from the kernel all the way to the normal files. Uh, they have access to restricted system files as well. No other user will be able to do that without adequate permissions from the root. Now, now when you see the word rootkit, that is what you're supposed to remember. The word root here implies the higher, the super level user, the super user of the computer. So rootkits are basically malwares that are designed to infect these super users or the administrators of a system which is uh, they they try to infect this account or the highest level account and then plant themselves in the core system files uh, which is basically a part of the kernel or you could say a part of the uh, core functioning of the operating system in the sense that it implants itself right in the engine of the operating system uh, it doesn't implant itself anywhere on the body of the vehicle nowhere right in the engine so the thing is Now, when you see that, uh, like, let's take an example of a car. So, when there's sludge in the engine, you wouldn't be able to, like, you know, see it from your car's this. Or you wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, you wouldn't be able to, like, decipher what is going on or where is the problem. When, if there's sludge in the engine, you can only feel it. You can only feel, like, you know, uh, performance going down similarly uh again with your health as well if there is something happening on the inside of your body you wouldn't generally know what's happening on the inside of your body you would just feel the symptoms of it and that's exactly how rootkits are also identifiable or that's exactly how you know if you think you're affected by a rootkit infected by a rootkit which is you won't be seeing like you know rootkits malware's uh, processes or any of those things run in a task manager they can be completely invisible to the operating system that you are using and they will be completely invisible to you know traditional antivirus or anti malware softwares as well uh, when you think about it because they run at the os level It functions corely on this one ideal that when you can't see something, when you planted something so deep in that it's not visible on the out level, you can't stop it that easily. So that is basically what a rootkit is. A kit of malware or a suite of malware designed to implant inside the kernel or inside the engine of the operating system via the root user or via the super user. Now... Again, uh, uh, in Professor Messer's video, uh, one example that he takes up was the Zeus or the Zbot malware. Now, this malware is very notorious. This is one of the most notorious rootkits that has been there uh, in recent history. Uh, Zeus or Zbot malware, that malware was famous for cleaning out bank accounts. Now, because uh, it it would log your keystrokes. It would monitor your system activity, and it would obviously once you if you log into any bank account or anything from your system, it'll you log in nicely, and this will also record you logging in by beat by keystrokes or beat by system uh, like screen recording or something. And then all it has to do is just relay it back to the uh, source or relay it back to the criminal, and that criminal can has the full credentials to your bank account. So, it has cleaned out a lot of bank accounts and uh, it was a big scare back in the day. Now, Zeus, this Zeus malware was actually combined with a Necker's rootkit. Now this rootkit, the problem with this rootkit is now that it is implanted inside a kernel, inside a system as a driver. The problem is that whenever you try to remove Zbot or whenever you try to remove the malware by antivirus or something. Neckers, what it does is from the kernel, it makes sure that uh, that file is not deleted. It designates the malware, it designated Zeus malware as a system file saying that this is not deletable, this is uh, access is denied to delete this. And even if you're trying to stop the process from your windows task manager, uh, it would throw an error saying error terminating process access denied. Now, this is a very interesting case study that uh, Professor Messer has brought up in his uh, video. When you think about it, once once you let something seep into your kernel driver, uh, then that's the end of it. You can't really, you know, uh, delete or you can't really wipe anything. Now, you must be wondering, okay, if rootkits, once they get in, are really hard to, you know, get rid of. What do we do? We can't just dump the computer or we can't just format everything. Now, good news is there are specific uh, tools or you could say specific software designed to scan for rootkits. So these are uh, rootkit removers and rootkit utilities. You can find them online, but uh, there are a few renowned ones that we will discuss later. The thing is, once these rootkits are there, or once these uh, things are there, you'll need some sort of a scanner with the same sort of elevated privileges so that it can go into your system and then, you know, scan for uh, uh, the differences or uh, it'll scan for any unusual drivers or something like that. So you'll need a software that will be able to implant itself there and then do the scanning. And there are a couple of rootkit removers. Uh all of them are uh, tricky to use again and are not advisable but generally the symptoms of having a rootkit is unknown network activity unknown process being added into your computer uh, this and all the symptoms you can track in like your task managers etc you can't track the rootkit but you can track the symptoms so if you keep uh, if you keep scanning for malware and you keep hitting the same malware over and over again no matter how many times you remove it chances are there's a rootkit in your system and then you'll have to go for a rootkit cleaning measure now another very important uh, advice that is given is that most modern systems uh, come in with uh, UFI a UFI mode of booting now we'll discuss really quickly what is a UFI mode of booting because this is a very important concept UFI uh, or aka The secure boot is a booting mechanism that ensures uh, high security in the bios or the bootloader sequence so it is significantly harder for uh, rootkits to get in or even if rootkits get in it is uh, it makes it a lot easier to get them detected as well now all the older systems or the normal systems they come in with a legacy boot Now, let's just discuss the difference between a UFI boot and a legacy boot. Chances are, if you're listening to this on a laptop or so, or your laptops or your Macs or anything, all of these come with UFI uh, versions of booting only because uh, UFI boots are now the better trend uh, and you'll see exactly why when we discuss the differences. Now, the first difference in both of these things is that UFI is significantly user-friendly in the sense that uh, you'll have extra control over your boot volumes your drives You can see exactly what's going on In a legacy boot you'll have to you know scamper through uh, Data or you could you will have to scamper through reports or something It legacy boot is as bios as it gets as basic as it gets But UFI is kind of like an enhancement like an upgraded UI UX experience Now uh, legacy boot the problem with legacy boot is it directly uses the bios firmware which is it directly just uses the bios and nothing else initiates all of the volumes or the partitions that you made on your hard drive and loads them up in the sequence uh, the first partition being the operating system then being the files etc etc that's it it just does it in an order and nothing else ufi however it uses a urfi firmware what it does is it Apart from the boot and apart from the drives that are there on your uh, thing It separately maintains a list of valid boot volumes Or uh, serviceable partitions These are known as the EFI partitions What this does is This is basically a double layer of authentication Which is What legacy does is it just reads what drives are there So whenever it starts up it just checks Whatever is there it will load UFI what it does is It keeps a list with itself and it also checks for what's there over there and only the things that match both the list and that only those two it will load up. So obviously you can see this double checking is much more security efficient and uh, another significant difference is that uh, a legacy boot uses a MBR partitioning scheme. Now an MBR partitioning scheme is. MBR is basically the master boot record. Now what a master boot record is, is that uh, it is basically like, you know, uh, say you have a drive, uh, it can like have up to four to five partitions and uh, what this uh, MBR does is it just loads the partition in the order it was designated. So it is basically a rote, a routine one. Now. A GUID partition table is a different type. What it does is, it splits the uh, partitions uh, in a different format compared to MBR in a significantly optimized format. And what this does is, what this allows UFI to do is, it can handle up to 16 exabytes of data. While a legacy boot, an MBR wouldn't be able to handle much more than like say 5 TB or 10 TB of data. Uh, a UFI boot would be able to handle up to 16 exabytes of data and now that's after Terra Terra uh, Zeta exa, I believe so you can see how uh, memory efficient that is the boot sequence uh, the booting time is virtually the same between UFI and legacy but this can handle more data. And also, with this double checking and all, you would wonder that if there are more partitions, it would become a big issue. But again, this GUID partition table, what it does is, it allows for parallel checking of partitions. So, the UFI, while booting, it can process more number of partitions. Now, I know I'm throwing in a lot of technical jargon, but you can just go over this once, twice, thrice this recording because this is a very uh, tricky yet you know interesting concept to understand because i'm pretty sure if after security plus you're going for any advanced certification like say a cysa plus or you're going for say a linux plus or uh, you're going for you know operating systems a course on operating systems this would you'll definitely encounter the difference between a ufi and a legacy boot you'll definitely encounter uh, the topic of guid partition table I'm trying to make it as concise as possible so that you get the core idea of what is required. Now, the this GUID partition table again allows for you know parallel processing of partitions. Now, by partition, what I mean is, uh, see, when you format your computer or when you format your drive, you you get the chance to split them into like, you know, drives, right? You can split You can split a huge uh, one TBC drive into a C volume, a D volume and an E volume. Those virtual, those virtual splitted drives are called partitions. Now, what a GUID partition table does is it can process multiple virtual uh, split ones, multiple virtual volumes, parallelly, while an MBR partitioning scheme goes after one partition after the other in a sequence. So it can't load more than four to five partitions without, you know, lagging significantly. But GUID partition table, which is you can see in the UFI boot. What it does is parallelly processes all of these 128 ones. Uh, generally, four to five of these partitions are reserved for system and recovery and so on. So. All of these things, it uh, parallelly processes and at the surface level itself, it checks if uh, the same partition is there in its own list as well. Again, that uh, double checking thing. So it saves itself time by not having to process all the partitions, but only the ones that match. And generally the ones that match are the ones that are in action. So it's significantly faster. So obviously any day it is useful to have a UFI boot uh, the reason is that uh, if a rootkit is installed or if a rootkit is sitting pretty inside your bootloader it in the ufi's list that thing is that thing that thing doesn't exist that uh, specific rootkit or that specific driver doesn't exist so ufi what it will do is it will simply stop loading that part so it will simply not allow a rootkit to load and that is how it is a secure boot now yeah quick revision we discussed about rootkits we discussed about how they can how malware can attach to a kernel driver to become virtually invincible which is you can't delete it you can't stop it nothing and uh, and then we discussed about how we find and remove rootkits finding using uh, root uh, root rootkit scanners rootkit utilities and removing using those tools or you could uh, prevent rootkits from coming using a ufi boot instead of a legacy boot so that's basically rootkits, that's all about rootkits. Now let's move on to keyloggers. Now this isn't really a big concept, but it, this is probably the most mainstream concept or the mainstream, the most mainstream malware you'll see when you enter a security scenario, or when you see some, someone preparing to become an ethical hacker or someone trying to learn ethical hacking out of a course, this is probably the first thing that they'll teach them, how to write a keylogger. Now, what exactly is a keylogger? The name itself suggests that this thing logs keys in the sense that it records keys. By keys it means keystrokes. So think about it every time you type a password out on your keyboard what if someone reco- uh, what if someone recorded exactly which key you're pressing when? That means all of the passwords you type, no matter what, no matter how encrypted the website is, no matter how many captures there are, it doesn't matter if your keyboard is hacked, right? So that is the problem here. Keystrokes contain very valuable information and keyloggers do exactly that. They exploit the keystroke drivers, they they exploit, you know, uh, the recording of keystrokes. To save all of your input save all of your uh, typing data which generally happens to be your credentials and just sense it all of sends all of it to the bad guys the problem is you can't encrypt keystrokes you cannot you simply cannot because even if you encrypt it when you're pressing a key you can't no matter which way you press it at the end of it when you're pressing a key it is a key and someone seeing it can easily recognize which keys you're pressing Someone seeing it from the inside also can do it. So that's exactly what keyloggers do. They embed along with your keyboard drivers, or they, you know, simply like, you know, how you type into applications or how you type into browsers like that, there are these specific drivers, specific or, you know, input specific modules. They just exploit that and just record your keystrokes. And keyloggers are not just uh, keystroke logging mechanisms most modern keyloggers also come with additional capabilities like they can log your clipboards which is when you copy something to paste elsewhere the when you copy something it is stored in this in this memory area called a clipboard so that is again it can log that everything that you're copying to paste somewhere or cutting to paste somewhere it can also log your screen whenever say you're clicking Uh, every time you click it could take a screenshot uh it can log your instant messaging your ims which is basically your uh, uh, instant chats on facebook or somewhere those things also it can log in and it can log your search engine queries as well like whatever you type in the toolbar of your browser those things it can log in all of this it can store all of this keyloggers can store record and when time is suitable or when uh it feels it is not detected or when it feels it has gathered enough data it can just send it to the bad guys exactly from the way it came in it can send data on its way out now obviously this is a very scary prospect this is uh, something really really bad but now obviously getting a keylogger into your pc is also significantly hard as well infecting someone with a keylogger is significantly hard Probably for a later date, I'll, this is a good video idea for me. I could probably, you know, do a tutorial on how to make a keylogger in Python or something. But yeah. So, now let's just jump, jump into the uh, boiling question, which is, how do you prevent a keylogger? Keyloggers generally come in with malware, come in bundled with other malware. Or they come in with bundled with trojans or something like that so obviously the first and foremost step no matter what you're doing is always keeping your antivirus and anti-malware up to date and uh, keeping your operating systems patched etc 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 and this applies for all malware i'll keep repeating this but you can always presume this as standard now the next uh, thing that you, we have to remember about keyloggers is we should try and block unauthorized communication as much as we can which is uh like you know block any background network activity of anything that you're not using block any sort of like you know uh, like you know seal your firewall completely look for open ports and close them which is basically even though it records data it shouldn't be able to send it out to the bad guy so basically you even if you let it in you shouldn't let it get out you shouldn't let any data get out from yours so that way even if there's a keylogger it will be harmless and also there are keylogging scanners as well which uh, they check for keylogging keylogging activity that is whenever you press a key uh, it will uh, note which all processes in your system or which all programs in your system are recording that key and that way it will detect for keyloggers as well uh We'll do a full in detail thing in like a tutorial series on keylogging, how to build a keylogger and how to uh, detect keyloggers as well. We'll do this and uh, we'll follow it up with uh, some other tutorials as well. Probably on my YouTube channel, probably at a later date. though. So yeah, that is basically what keyloggers are. Uh, And that's all the topics that I planned for today. Uh, We planned rootkits and keyloggers and we're done with both. Mm, In the next episode, we'll discuss about adware and spyware. Uh, It is a good, interesting and a topical concept that we can discuss. And obviously, I feel we'll have enough time to discuss about botnets as well. If you've ever played Watch Dogs or Watch Dogs 2, you'll know exactly what a botnet is. But don't worry, I'll cover it next episode. And if time permits, uh, we'll also probably go for uh, either phishing or logic bombs, depending on the amount of time left. So, yeah, that's it for today. Um, If you like this episode, whichever platform you're listening on, drop a like, leave a comment. Some sort of feedback is also very appreciated. Uh, If you like the content that I'm putting out or if you found it useful, make sure to drop on my Instagram page and give it a follow. If you're watching this on youtube uh you can subscribe for more content and that's it for now i'll see you guys next episode